All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 1 Timothy. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. And Paul has just told Timothy that he wants him to teach and exhort these things. And in the preceding context, that referred to what Paul had instructed Timothy about widows and elders and slaves and some of the issues going on with those different groups and how Timothy needed to handle that as he continued to instruct and teach the church. So Timothy, teach and exhort these things. Now here, beginning in verse 3, Paul turns to the home stretch of the letter and he returns to the problem of the false teachers that is plaguing the church in Ephesus. And he notes in this paragraph that there's a connection between the false teachers and what they are teaching and material gain, this urge, this longing for getting rich and material gain. And so that actually becomes a key focus of this paragraph. So here's what Paul says, beginning in verse three of chapter six. He says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. And just to clarify, The word doctrine is really a kind of a churchy word. It simply means teaching. So if anyone advocates a different teaching and doesn't conform to the teaching uh, of godliness, that's the idea. So doctrine simply means teaching. And we're talking about people who offer a different kind of teaching, one that doesn't agree with sound words. And the basic meaning of the word sound is healthy. That's important because Paul is going to play off of that in what follows in the rest of verse 4. So here we're turning back to look at the false teachers that are stirring up trouble in the church, and they, they believe a different kind of teaching, a teaching that's not according to godliness and sound or healthy words. And notice that sound words or healthy words are, uh, they align with Jesus and they conform to godliness. That is to the truth and the practice that's from God. And so sound words align with that sort of thing. So here we're talking about someone who professes Christianity in some sort of way, but whose teaching doesn't align with Jesus' teaching and whose teaching doesn't conform to godliness. And Paul says that person is conceited, he's arrogant, and he's ignorant. He doesn't understand anything. Instead, Paul goes on to say in the middle of verse 4, he has a sick craving. Paul's going to go on and describe what the specific craving is here in just a second. But first, we should note this word sick. This guy has a sick craving. And that word sick stands in contrast to the word sound, as we noted, its basic meaning is healthy. So they, rather than having healthy words, instead they have a sick craving. And what is their sick craving for? Well, Paul says, They have a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words. Uh, They like to argue about all sorts of things that really are just controversial, really aren't that important, are kind of sick, and they don't bring good health and strength to human people, right? They like to dispute about various words, and they just like to argue and wrangle about all this sort of stuff, the sorts of stuff that really isn't necessary for human flourishing. It's unhealthy stuff. And so Paul actually lists off some of the unhealthy things that come from these kinds of disputes. And so he says, from which come, that is from these kind of controversial questions, from these kinds of dispute, from which come envy, 
right? This jealousy, this kind of resentment that longs for what other people have, and it stirs up this envy between people, from which come envy, strife. This word strife is translated various ways in the New Testament, but it's the idea of quarreling and bickering and even rivalry, right? Creating sort of divisions between people so that now, you know, they're arguing against each other and they're kind of settling into their camps and there's rivalry between them, strife, abusive language, which really isn't the best translation. It's literally just blasphemies. Um, blasphemies means to refers to various kinds of slander and gossip and running people down. And, and so it leads to that where you're just running people down and gossiping about people and slandering people um, and evil suspicions where you just now all of a sudden you look at other people and you distrust them and there's suspicion between them, right? Those sorts of things. And then verse five says, and constant friction between people of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. That there's there's this tension and friction between now these groups of people that have settled into their camps. And so all these controversial questions and all these disputes about words have led to constant friction. And notice between people of depraved mind. Their mind is corrupted. They're not thinking clearly. They're not thinking straight. They're not focused on the things that matter the most. And they're deprived of the truth. They're not rooted deeply in the truth about Jesus. And then it's at this point that Paul notes one of the motivating factors behind all of this, and that is material gain of some sort. And so he says, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So in some sort of way, those false teachers are trying to use this position that they're gaining to get ahead for themselves, to make money for themselves, to get rich for themselves, right? To, to pad their own pocket, right? And to make their life easier. And so this then actually leads Paul to offer some reflections on both the nature of godliness and gain and how those go together and forces us then to begin to think about how we as followers of Jesus should view godliness in relationship to gain. And so Paul says in verse 6, but godliness, remember godliness is living and teaching the truth about God, right? Living in a God-word sort of way under God and for God. So godliness actually is a means of great gain, Paul says, when accompanied by contentment. And so these folks suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Paul actually says there is a kind of gain, really great gain, that can be acquired by godliness but it only can be found when a person has contentment. And this word contentment was actually a, a fairly popular word, and it was a favorite value of the Stoics, of Stoic philosophy. And for the Stoics, it meant something like self-sufficiency. Like um, this particular word was used to say that I don't need anything more. I'm self-sufficient. I've got everything I, I need, and that's that, right? And the New Testament does use this word in the sense of sufficiency. It seems to be the way it's used, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, where it's like, you have enough. That's the idea, enough, sufficient. What you have is sufficient. Here, in this context, it refers more, it seems, to how you feel about what you have, and that's why they've translated it as contentment. What I have is sufficient. What I have is enough. And Paul then explains this. He says, for this is why we can be content. And this is why we 
we can feel like we have enough. For we brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. Um, we both halves of that verse, verse 7, are kind of self-evident, right? Every time a baby is born, they show up with nothing. <laughs> They've got nothing and they need everything. So we brought nothing into the world. And the reality is true as well. When we die, we really take nothing with us either out of the world. In a very real sense, empty-handed we come into the world and empty-handed we leave the world. Therefore, Paul says in verse 8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Notice the word content at the end of verse 8 is actually a verb form of the uh, related to the word translated contentment in verse 6. And Paul says, if we have food and covering, and the word covering is used uh, in various places of both clothing and shelter. And that's the reason they've translated in this general sense of covering. It refers to clothing and shelter. So if we have food and clothing and shelter, then we shall be content. And this word content here, the way the verb is usually used, is to mean satisfied. With these, we'll be satisfied. So godliness teaches us that food and clothing and shelter, it's enough for us. We don't have to have a whole lot. And we can be satisfied with just having the basic needs of life met. Here's the way Paul puts it in another passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says this about himself. And when he wrote these words in Philippians, Paul was under house arrest and he had very little. And so he says this, not that I speak from need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with a little. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is Paul's He's learned this, right? And this is Paul's basic approach. And that's what he's saying to Timothy. And that's what he's really passing on to us is we need to learn the secret that godliness teaches that food, clothing, and shelter is enough. And we need to learn how to get along with a very little or like Paul says, to live in prosperity. There's skills that godliness can teach us to both of those. But that's not what the false teachers there in Ephesus are are teaching. That's not their approach. They're not just trying to be content with the basic needs of life. Look at verse 9. But those who want to get rich, this is what they're being driven by. They're desiring to get ahead. They're desiring to get rich, and they're gathering people to themselves in some sort of way to make that happen. So those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And so this ambition, this aim, this literally want to is desire. So this intent or desire to get rich, it leads to temptation. So it leads to a form of testing and temptation. It also leads to a trap, a snare. So there's, a, there's an entrapment to this. And it leads to many foolish and harmful desires. And we need to hear this uh, because I, we struggle to believe this. M money and wealth is a power. This is a consistent theme in the New Testament. It's not neutral. It's powerful. And it holds sway over people. And so when you have this 
great desire and this ambition to get rich, then there are dangers associated with that. That's Paul's point here is there's uh, temptation and traps and foolish and harmful desires that go along with this, uh, this aim to get rich because money is so incredibly powerful. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount can refer to money as something that tries to rule us. He says that you cannot serve God and mammon, God and money, God and riches. They both are masters that are looking for servants. You have to choose your master. And that's why there is such danger to that. And that's why what Paul says here is so important for us to hear and to believe that the desire to get rich leads to temptations, leads to traps, and leads to foolish and harmful desires. And notice the outcome, he says, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And so aiming to get rich leads to all sorts of dangers, and those dangers um, have a well-documented outcome of plunging people into ruin and into destruction. This was true for the false teachers there in Ephesus in Timothy's day, and it's really true for anyone who has that same aim and ambition to get rich today. Why is this? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For, explaining, for here's why it's so dangerous, for the love of money, not just money itself, the love of money, the love of money is a root, notice that, it is, it's a root of all sorts of evil, or the way it literally reads is the love of money is a root of all the evils, all kinds of evils, right? And so the love of money, like where we, we want all the stuff and we love all the stuff, it leads to all sorts of evil. And some, Paul says, some by longing for it, longing for money, right? They, they want it so desperately. They're pursuing it so greatly, longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And Paul would immediately, when he says that to Timothy, Timothy would immediately think of some people, people in the church, some of these false teachers who have now wandered away from the faith and they've brought all sorts of grief and, and harms upon themselves because of their longing to get rich. And this longing presents itself to us in many different ways. There's the way it presents itself in affluent societies where you just have so much access to so much stuff that you have to guard against that and you have to recognize the risks, the dangers, and the damage of affluence. In a more poverty-stricken situation, there, particularly in our world today where there's so much access to pictures and videos about how to get rich and pictures of people who are who are rich and seeming to live the high life, that can stir up desires even in those situations as well. And so whatever our situation is, Paul's instruction to us is learn this, this great truth that godliness intends to teach, and that is contentment. That what we have is sufficient, is enough. Learn the secret of living with a little or living with a lot because it takes different forms of skills and different um, lessons of godliness to learn with a lot than it does with a little and vice versa. And so we need to learn to recognize that if we have, as Paul says here, if we have the basic provisions of life, food and covering, then that's enough. And should we get a little bit more? Let's learn how to live with that. 
And Paul will have some instructions for that in our next session. If we never have very much, let's learn how to live with that and be content with that. And one simple practice that can help with that contentment is a routine and regular practice of gratitude, of expressing our genuine thanks to God for the gifts that he has given us, for the good things he has brought into our life, and for the things we have. Practicing regular gratitude can help us learn contentment and live then the way Paul is calling us to live here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the listener's commentary. The listener's commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that is made possible by the generous support of all sorts of people just like you. So thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters and help this ministry continue to grow and impact more and more people, you can do so by going over to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, and you can set up a recurring or one-time monthly donation right there. Or you can support this ministry through the Study Hub, and you can sign up for the Study Hub. All monthly donors, either through the Give button or through the Study Hub, get access to the bonus material inside the Hub. Things like my online courses, maps and charts and overview articles to the Bible books and things like that. So thanks in advance for your support. May God bless you for it.